Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Joe DeSanto with me here today. And if you want to follow along, and Joe has a great blog with a lot of content, over to playlouder.com for those information for that training material. But Joe, I really appreciate your time. We're going to go down the rabbit hole of business and fractional CFO today, which that's what Joe specializes in. But I really appreciate your time here today. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So I'm always curious, fractional CFOs run into, I even have a couple of fellas locally that do this type of work. It's always interesting to find out how you accidentally fell into this. Yeah. Fractional CFO, really, I guess, is another way to say part-time CFO. And I came to it, I guess you could say organically. Really, I used to own larger businesses in Los Angeles in the production and post-production space. We basically, on the commercial side, we make commercials largely for like large multinational ad agencies. And then on the production side, we also produce some of our own content. And we, in my bio, my mentioned I won a couple, we won a couple Emmys at one point for a show we did for HBO. Very proud of that. But it was a larger business. We had about 30 or so employees and it was very time consuming. And then long story short, we had a kid, my wife and I, and then we actually wanted to spend some time with it. We came up with this cockamamie idea to like reinvent our whole life. We, I, my partners cashed me out of the business and my wife and I did what I call retreated to cheaper ground. We moved to Florida. And at that point, my real estate investing had definitely pumped up our savings quite a bit. We had some cash flow from that. We had some cash flow from other just market investments. And we figured I could probably work part time and supplement our passive income with part time work and we could make it all work and then inevitably have more time for the family. So that's what we endeavored to do. And in with that whole idea, I guess I consider myself a little bit of the fire ilk, the financial independence retire early. I don't know if you're familiar with that term or those folks, because I consider myself semi-retired and then I don't work full time. And also part of what I put in that classification is that I'm not completely concerned with saving more. I mean, your full-time work, obviously saving for retirement's a thing. I think with what we have, if that just continues to grow through its through the investments, then I'm comfortable with that. So that's what I mean by semi-retired for whoever wants to know. But what ended up happening was, is for my businesses, I was the CEO and the CFO. I did all the, I did all the finances all the time from the very beginning. And my partners, when I left, they were supportive, but they was hard to lose me. I like to think I did a lot of, I did a lot of stuff, but they asked me if I wanted to maybe just stay on like doing the finances and they would just pay me like a retainer or something. And I was like, yeah, that's great. And once I put the word out to friends, just casually that I was doing that, I happen to have a lot of friends that own businesses. They were like, oh, wow, are you doing that? Would you do that for us? Because we really need that. And it turns out that for businesses of a certain size, and my clients range anywhere from, I don't know, a couple to like 30 employees being my company, 
They don't know if there isn't a business person that's one of the partners of the company and that is like tasked with managing the business of the business. It's hard to have a full-time really qualified person in that role because it's expensive. So there's like a niche there, it turns out, to do this part-time CFOing. Essentially, my clients get access to all my knowledge and everything. They don't have to pay me a full-time salary. And of course, I can do it for multiple clients, which I like, and do it as a consultant and remain in control of my time and all that sort of stuff. And so I started saying, yeah, I'll do more of it because I did need to fill in that part-time income that I, that I had mentioned earlier. And it just became the natural progression of what was the next, the next step for me. So I really love finance. I love doing the numbers. And I also like always, I always had an interest in doing it for myself too. I genuinely considered my personal life. I ran it like a business because I was running my business and I, that you do what you need to do for that. And of course I would just apply those same principles to my own income and expense and P&L and balance sheet and all that goals and so on. And I really started to, as I started the blog and tried to communicate my knowledge to people, whoever is interested in it, that's become sort of one of my fundamental concepts is that people really need to run their personal lives like business as well. And for my clients who are business owners, I say to them, hey, I'm working on your business with you, but ultimately you're in business to make money. I know you're also realizing your dreams and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you are headed somewhere called retirement. And if you're not taking that seriously as well, and making sure that your business is going to pay off for you in that sense, you're making a mistake. So I indoctrinate them into this idea that you really do have to take your personal finances as seriously and realize that it is one big system. The money comes into your life at the at your business. But it really is not all that meaningful until it's after tax and in your savings account. And that's when you know, like financially speaking, what the net result really is. And there's also tax concerns and tax efficiency in that system that you need to be concerned with and not just be concerned with, but you want to be concerned with because it can obviously help your net result as well. So I come at it from that perspective. It's more like, I do for people what I did for myself as a business owner and entrepreneur, as opposed to just like being like their bookkeeper or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what my business is about. And I started the blog to basically be able to communicate this to individuals more on a coaching basis, but obviously that can't afford to pay someone to be a, a CFO on retainer. So I offer lots of pretty much all my information for free in one way or another through my blog post, but. I also offer some courses where I distill the information down to the most pertinent that individuals can buy and get access to like good planning skills for their own future at a very reasonable cost, at least in my opinion. And they can also book time with me just like an hour at a time to have some coaching or accountability or whatever. So that's a little bit of what I do as well. But I do that more as a side thing. This is quite interesting. Based on the other investors that I'm aware of, it's rare to find somebody to plan out their financial future for their business in the real estate world, let alone their personal life. Has that been typically the biggest hurdle when you're talking to real estate investors? Yeah, not just real estate investors, but all investors and also really business owners, because obviously having your own business is an investment in and of itself. But yeah, you'd be surprised. 
how little planning people do both in their personal life and even in their own business. And it's not always because people are irresponsible, but like particularly owning a business, even a real estate centric business as well, it's very time consuming. And you only get so much time of the day. And it's like everybody always has the intention of getting down to doing some good planning and figure out where they're headed and how they're going to get there and making adjustments based on good data and all that sort of stuff. But Again, depending on your size, if you don't have a staff or someone that's a partner that really takes that on, like it's just one of those things that oddly falls by the wayside. So being able to do it in this part-time capacity for people, it makes it much more accessible for them. And as I said, like they usually are thinking, oh, I need help with my business. And I am educating to them to the fact that you also need help with your personal life and How much are you saving? Is it going to get you where you want to go? How much return do you need on the savings in order to get you where do you want to go? Actually, where do you even want to go? You know what I mean? What is your retirement destination? Actually, one of my courses is called the Financial Independence Roadmap. And first step is figuring out like, where do I want to be in 20 or 30 years? Like literally physically, what state would I want to live in? Do I want to live in where I live now? Do I want to be in the Caribbean? How much is that going to cost? And How much money do I need to sock away in order for the passive income on that to cover that in what I'm envisioning in my head? And then, okay, now I have a like a financial goal of savings. How do I get to that? Like, how much do I need to save every year? How much return do I need to get on those savings in order to get there in 20 or 30 years? And therein lies for me, like the real estate piece, it's like, Real estate to me is just like any other investment. I shouldn't say exactly that. But ultimately, as I jokingly say, unless you're going to go sit outside your rental properties and just look at them all day, the purpose of them is to generate a good quality return for you on your on your investable cash, right? Your savings with the purpose of getting you to some destination in the future, whether that be building up enough passive income from your real estate or building through appreciation or value add or whatever. But Ultimate real real estate is an investment for that purpose. And I do think real estate ultimately provides a better return for less risk in general than the markets. And it has for me. And so I educate people as to real estate is a potential option for your saved money. Is it right for you or not? We can talk about that. But if it's going to produce more return, if you're going to get 25% compound annual growth out of real estate versus maybe the hopeful average of 10% of the market, you're going to grow your savings three times as fast, potentially. So that's something you seriously want to look at. You can't just leave it up to the financial industry to get you your seven, your 7% compound annual growth and throw you in some stocks and bonds and then call you once a year. That's a recipe for failure. The investment component you know, of that planning is very vast, obviously. Real estate is a potential piece of that. And, or it could all, but it could also be markets. It could be a combination of the two. I've actually more recently, I was mostly, I was like probably 75, 80% real estate in my overall portfolio. Obviously, real estate, as the markets had up until last year, was in a pretty serious bull market. So I thought I probably should maybe reevaluate given my own personal new circumstance. And I adjusted my asset allocation to be a little less real estate heavy. I sold some of my single family rentals that I appreciated and, and so on. I ended up actually buying some syndications though instead that I thought might be better on the cash flow front because I was trying to produce a little bit more spendable cash as opposed to 
being in the investments on in the long term and on the appreciation front. I did a lot of research over the last couple of years about different things, and it ended up there's only so many categories. There there are private real estate investments, a lot of syndications, obviously crypto cryptocurrency is a thing. I don't have a lot of percentage in that, but I have some money in that. I mostly divested of real estate, put some more money in the market because I thought the market was going to be coming down off the end of 2022, sorry, end of 2021, which obviously it did. So I started buying into the market. I wish I started buying into the market today, but sadly I started buying into the market about four or five months ago. But I think in the long run, that's going to prove to be a good, a good situation. So I, and then I also even investigated some other products like life insurance. And I put together a plan that involves some, you know, Russell index life. And I, I spread things out and made like a new asset allocation. That's right for me at my juncture. But I try to educate my clients in these options and like what the whole asset allocation thing is about. And like what it's in a way they don't even know like what the goal of the savings is so they just know i'm supposed to save i hope i'm saving i don't know like i'm busy it's a year goes by in a flash once you have kids so i try to bring them that perspective of the cfo obviously that's very customary in a business setting you would review your numbers on a regular basis you would try to establish how your business is doing which of your products sell the best which ones cost the least all these types of things and make informed decisions about how you're going to make adjustments for your business next year or what you're going to spend more or less time on. All that can apply to the personal life as well, of course. I try to do that. I was glad that you just brought that up because I was going to ask you if we could define what a CFO actually does, because I think a lot of people classify essentially that it's doing some accounting or Mm -hmm. something like that, but and misses the concept that this is taking those numbers and planning making strategic decisions and planning for your business. And in, you've mentioned a few times your personal life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is like, I, I was not, didn't go to school for accounting. I, I really was just like an entrepreneur and I did the finances for my business, one out of necessity, because I couldn't pay someone to do them at the beginning. And two, because I was concerned that I needed to like know if we were doing well. Like it was just, it just seemed like it's extremely important to know if we were like making a profit, like how much could I pay myself? How would I know that if I don't know the ins and outs of the finances? And it's just something I like too. So that made it a lot easier to do. But that is my experience of what a CFS does. It's just me doing it for myself. So in some ways I could answer the question and probably someone who went to a school for accounting or whatever might. I'd say that I'm missing something. But at the end of the day, for me, yeah, it's basically you do bookkeeping because you need data, right? And while the bookkeeping gives you data to ultimately make good decisions on. But it's not just like everything's going great. Hey, what can we do to improve next year? What should we focus on? But you also have to have an emergency planner or emergency exit plan. One of the things I would always do is I hope for the best plan for the worst. So as a business with many employees, you have a monthly goal that you know you need to hit, right? If you don't hit that for a couple months in a row, you know you're going to have a cash flow crunch likely in two months if you have terms. And you're like, what if I don't hit my goal for six months? I don't know. What if something crazy happens? Likely, you're going to have to start lightening your load. So I would have a plan of who would I let go if I had to do that? Not that I want to, but like 
I have to be prepared for all those scenarios. Or where can I access funds from if I want to bridge the gap and take on that responsibility and not let anyone go? Because often letting people go, it's not an ideal situation because you put so much time into training people and getting them on board and getting them there. It's, it's not like you, you think about it in a flippant way. And that's another thing CFOs do is they constantly keep like your financing and your credit accessible, increase your credit as it needs to be. Like in my case, I also said, because I own the business, I said to my partners, hey, we're spending so much money in rent, you know, just like the idea of buying your house. Hey, I'm spending so much money in rent. Why don't I just buy a house? We were spending so much money in rent on our business location and we were growing and we needed a new space. I was like, why don't we buy a building? We might as well. Why would we send a, a spend sign up for a five year lease with a five or ten year extension? Do a whole bunch of tenant improvements on our dime just to build out somebody else's building? And we we're in post production, so like our office was very nice. Like it's you're entertaining clients there all the time. Like the quality of your design and your office is a reflection of the quality of your work, basically in a creative field. So. We actually decked out our place pretty well. And I'm like, we're going to we're gonna spend like half a million or a million dollars or whatever doing that for someone else. We bought a building. And then I managed, I got all the financing together for that as being the CFO. And that worked out really well. I, in my real estate endeavors, which ultimately was a side thing for me and part of my investing, I think we owned uh, about 16 properties over the last, I don't know, 15 years, including our homes, which I do consider investments personally. And when there's so three of them were our homes, but two of them were buildings for our business. So in 2008, we, we bought a building, renovated it, had it for about eight years, decided to sell it and trade up to a slightly bigger building and a better, make a better one. And one that had parking, that was probably the biggest driver of us switching gears. So we did well in that building. We pocketed half the profits, put the other half into the new building, did the build out again. Now, in those cases, those two buildings probably are the like single largest driver of profits for me in real estate. But I managed the build out. I managed the construction. I was basically at the beck and call of those projects. And I could be because I was a partner in the business that it was for. So I spent a lot of time making sure those projects were successful and they were not small. Like the first one was about a $4 million project and the second was 10 million. And there were a lot of things that could have gone wrong, did go wrong, needed to get fixed. It, there's a time component to real estate, I guess is my point that you do have to factor into your returns, I think. But luckily so far for me, it's all been worth it. Sure. Part of what I do calculate into the kind of compound annual growth is how much time do I have to put into this project and relative to some other less time consuming option where I could put my money. And hence, lately, I wanted to spend less time on real estate. And as I was saying earlier, I kind of balanced our portfolio, divested some of the single family rentals, but I like real estate. So I decided to take some of that equity and put it into syndications where I'm not doing anything and I'm just collecting cash flow. Now, granted, you're handing your money over to someone else and they have to do a good job. So it's it's never riskless, obviously, to do that. I'm giving that a try as well. <clears throat> sure. Just to remind everybody, it's playlouder.com to learn more about what Joe does. 
and how he can maybe help. So, Joe, you've been working with quite a few real estate investors at this point. Have you found some consistent or pitfalls, if you will, some of your real estate investors? What are some of the stories you've been seeing that are is a consistent problem well, with, with us? The funny thing is, it's, it's the same problem I mentioned earlier. Some people are very diligent about it as a business, and they can answer any question you fire off at them about the financials of their endeavor. And other ones are just buying real estate. And I'm like, so have you done an analysis on whether or not these properties actually have made you any money when you consider cash flow appreciation, cap capex, tax implication, whatever? And they were like, no, I probably should do more of that. <laughs> luckily, in a long running bull market of real estate, it usually has worked out pretty okay, but we're not in that anymore. You know what I mean? So it's really, it's, again, but again, having the time or making the time to do that very valuable work. And then also making sure that you're getting like the most tax benefit and tax efficiency out of your real estate holdings and understanding how depreciation in real estate may or may not affect your other income, especially if it's a side thing and what steps you want to or can take to make sure you're getting the most value out of the, the potential tax benefit and so on. Same issue, people having and or taking the time to really do the analysis and make sure, you know, what they're doing is worth it. Yeah. It just seems maybe it's just a small businesses in general. We operate off of checkbook balance versus planning things out accordingly. Yeah. And the funny thing about real estate is it's the one thing where there's a lot of hidden financial ins and outs with just, it's not super complicated, but it's just with the amortization of your loan, with the depreciation and the tax effect that it has with the appreciation. Like there's a lot going on in the potential performance of the real estate that you have to think about before you sell. Like once you sell and you realize all those things, well, you have your end result. But in the planning of the buying of a property and or the deciding to stay in it and or move the money into some other property, you have to read between the lines and figure out really what's happening. And that takes a little bit of math, takes some time. Actually, one of my courses, which is about by the way, like my content, I should say, just put big picture. As I've created my blog and delivered my content, I realized that for me, there's like kind of three pillars to success in life, really, not in financial life, which is one, being entrepreneurial. I really do think being entrepreneurial is key to income generation and also time control, which both of which, you know, are obviously important. To the personal finance piece, which is treating your personal financial life like a business, tracking your income and expenses just like you would in your business, actually having a P&L you look at maybe once a month or once every month and go, wow, I actually made more than I spent. Thank God. Or holy moly, I spent more than I made. That's bad. I have to fix that. And then the last piece is the investing, like understanding like there's a significant difference between a 7% compound annual growth and 20%. Like you will shave, could, you could shave 10 to 15 years off of your saving and amassing portion of your life if you could get that return to be higher. So you need to educate yourself on how to do that. You can't just rely on your guy over at Fidelity, throw you in some index funds and let's get the home run. So one of my core, I have a course in each of those three pillars. One of them is 
real estate. And, ba and basically, it's just doing real estate analysis, both of a property you might buy or properties you have. And I've cre I created this sheet for myself, which is not groundbreaking, but it's pretty detailed. And what it does is it has all these metrics you can change, like obviously rent, interest rate on your loan, inflation, blah, blah, blah. And then it maps out your returns, both pre and post tax on an annual basis for 30 years. So you can actually see how the performance of the property would happen over time. And potentially, if you wanted to get out in year five or year 10 or year 15, where you would be on a return and compound annual growth basis. Now, any syndicator or whatever, a higher level investor is probably going to have something like this. But for the smaller in individual investor, I don't know that they go through the length to create something like that. So my course is basically you get my sheet and then I have seven or eight videos where I explain to you exactly how all the real estate investment returns materialize and show you how tax affects you, show you how depreciation affects you, blah, blah, show you what would happen if inflation was 7% instead of 2%, blah, blah, blah. So at what point does a small business decide to engage somebody like you to help them along? What, at what point should, what questions should they be asking themselves? Yeah. Sometimes, sadly, people have engaged me more when they're concerned about their finances, <laughs> which is, un unfortunately, I can't go out and make money for people. I can help them probably figure out how to be, make more money more efficiently, though. So sometimes that's been the case, but a lot of other times it's really just been word of mouth, friends of friends. In some cases, I it's been like, oh, a friend of mine was like, I have these two friends. They started this business. It's going really well, but I know they need help with their money and managing their money and making sure they don't screw it up. And they, they have a couple of employees now, blah, 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 blah. So I, it's obviously better when people catch me on the upswing and I'm like, oh, we have something to work with here mm -hmm. as opposed to like the downswing. But I do have help. Clients get reorganized, trim the fat, figure out where the weak spots are, that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's been simple as, you know what, you're doing pretty good. You just don't charge enough. You need to go, you need to go charge more. And they go charge more and it works out great. But they just needed someone to be looking at things and tell them that and then give them the confidence to go do it. So in some ways, it's a little bit of a therapist too, financial therapist, which I also yeah. like, I like about in life. <clears throat> Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So again, I just want to remind everybody it is playlouder.com for some more information and some of these lessons and downloads that Joe is talking about. It's very generous to to give out this information like you you do, Joe. We could just can continue, we could just keep going here. But I do have some rapid fire questions I'd like to wrap up with, but Lamb on me. But before we do, I do have one last question okay. regarding this. If somebody was considering talking to a CFO or a fractional CFO in, in order to get this type of help, could you give us like top three questions they should be asking to make sure that they are getting the right partner? Yeah. Again, I guess it depends a little bit on are you going for the traditional sort of CFO person. The traditional CFO person, I think, would be probably someone who has a background in accounting, might even be a CPA oftentimes larger companies have licensed CPAs as their CFO. Actually, my sister-in-law's like that. And they're not necessarily coming at it like with the 
business owner been in the hot seat as the business owner perspective they probably maybe just like the strict analysis so i guess it's like one asking how do they approach it have they ever owned a business before themselves maybe they have an accounting firm that they've owned and so they understand that because there is the aspect of the finances of the business and trying to establish like what's working what's not but then there's also like the employees the staffing the this that sort of stuff and I also help people with, I don't do HR stuff, but I just have so much experience as a business owner. Like I can tell them what needs to happen for those types of things, how to get payroll done, like what annual filings they need to do, all these kind of more broader business owner things. So I guess that's a really long way to say is one established, have they been just an employee in their career or have they ever owned a business? Two, I think because I think the personal finance thing is important, it's like, what do they think about personal finance? What do they do for themselves? Do they understand like the how asset allocation works and per personal investing? And do they have a good grasp on just investing in general? I really think that's important. And then three, I do think that as a business owner, especially if you're one with a brick and mortar operation, just like I think buying your house is like a fundamental thing. I tell young people, I think that should be your primary first investment. I do think if you're renting a space for your business, you should look at it the same way and consider buying a space for your business. And so with that in mind, do they have any experience in real estate and real estate finance and, and making good sound real estate decisions and could they help them in that capacity when the time comes finding a good project and that sort of stuff sure joe if you're ready we'll go through a few of these rapid fire questions yeah. Again, one last time it is playlouder.com for joe's information but first of all what is one real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today real estate investing myth oh okay a one that I think the buy and hold forever idea personally is like mathematically, oftentimes that's not the smartest way to do real estate. One, you don't want to drain down your leverage because the leverage is where you pump your returns. And two, you know, people talk about, oh, I gotta, all I got to do is buy a bunch of houses and then get them paid off. And then they're going to be this endless stream of money for me. But unfortunately, they don't say that, oh, yeah, after 20 years, like your rental is practically destroyed probably and you need to replace every major system in there and possibly even do like a whole home renovation and you're going to unwind like your 15 years of like positive cash flow so i think people need to and if you actually mathematically if you look at how returns materialize over 30 years you do get peak returns in the five to ten year window so i think that individual investors shouldn't necessarily be thinking, oh, I'm going to buy something, hold it, get it paid off, and then it's going to produce the most cash for me. They might look at it as a five to 10 year timeline per property and try to get in on all new systems and get out before all major systems have to be replaced and so on. But if you do the math, you'll figure that out on your own. Sure. What book would you recommend or what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm going to say Rich. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, you mentioned the funny thing about Rich Dad, and I mean, people say that, but there is that's they have a series, the Rich Dad series, and they have other authors do books. And one that I that was really helpful for me was The Loopholes of Real Estate by Garrett Sutton. It has a lot of good detail in there and about like tax benefits of real estate and that sort of stuff and entities and various stuff. 
that come up. So I would recommend that. I don't know if that's on your list of people say that There's, a lot. In fact, Garrett has been on the show. So it's, oh, it's cool. been one of those. Yeah, that is a great book. That's a really good book. So another one that I'll say that I read recently was The Lost Science of Compound Interest, which really, uh, Frank, I'll be perfectly honest, is a brochure for the product that the author sells. But I do think that's fine, number one, because we're all selling something with our books. But two, there's just a lot of really good information and thoughts in there about the kind of fundamental problems with like modern retirement planning theory and like how like it's not very well supported by math based on the average income and average savings of Americans. Sure. So I would check that out. What is the biggest business mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? And I should have that one. Like I should have a paragraph on that. <laughs> it's like pre-written. I think about this when I get this question and it's, I don't want to say I've never made any mistakes because they have, but like, I, there's none that really stick out to me that like totally took me out because they are all kind of learning experiences. But one I almost made, I'll tell you this, one I almost made was a real estate investment. I was going to try out the whole short-term rental thing, the Airbnb thing. And I was looking at Nashville as a possible place to do it try to make long story short here so i get into contract on this thing and i find out the realtor was like lately they're getting a little more strict on the airbnb licenses and you're really only supposed to be like renting out like a room if in your house if you're living there he's like plenty of people though they're putting it down as their address whatever and i don't like that kind of stuff because i just don't like surprises and it's like hassle and issues but i was like ah I was like really wanting to like try it. I found a property and I was like, I'll just risk it. And it was like divine intervention for me, really. This keeps me up at night sometimes if I start thinking about how bad it would have been. But so I'm like in contract, go all the way to the end of the contracts, like last day of closing. I literally sent all my, I was buying in all cash with the plan of refining out some money. And I send in all the money. And I'm like, thing, and I get a call from the realtor and he's like, hey, like FYI, I just get this bomb dropped on me. This property is subject to a lawsuit. The owner is subject to a lawsuit because he's been renting it out without on Airbnb without the license. And the city basically has tried to shut it down and now is suing him basically because he hasn't shut it down. And he's, but don't worry, like, the lawsuit's not going to transfer with the property. It's a problem of the owner. So it's not like it affects the property at all, but they felt like it needed to be disclosed. I'm like, you think they needed to disclose that the guy's being sued for not having the proper licensing on an Airbnb when you know that I'm buying this to be an Airbnb? And I was just like, I get it. I'm getting out. So I just got my lawyer on the phone. I was like, undisclosed information, cancel contract. They canceled it. They sent me my money back. And it, literally, it was the last day. Like I had, mm-hmm. I had a couple more pages to sign. And I'm like, never again will I do anything that is potentially like not known to be successful. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? philosophical questions i would say don't be afraid to talk to people just go out and talk to as many people as you can don't sit in the corner don't be afraid of making 
cheesy small talk. Just get out there, make as many relationships as you can, take whatever licks you have to. People don't want to talk to you and think you're annoying and build your relationships because that's the key. You can't be a hermit if you want to be successful. Sure. Okay, I'm going to time you on this one. You got 55 seconds. You got to give somebody a single tip or trick that they can implement right now, today, that could have an impact on their business. Simple trick. Uh, 55 seconds. You got to do the math. That's basically it. Like you cannot go by your gut. You cannot go by your, just your checkbook balance. If you don't have genuine verified data in some sort of computer program like QuickBooks or Quicken or whatever, you are setting yourself up for potential failure. Like rush to go buy the software, get it going. And I know there's many business owners out there that don't do any bookkeeping and they have employees. And you, like when I learned that, I'm just like, how, is, how do you sleep at night? But you are going to mess yourself up if you don't know what's going on in your business. It's funny you bring that up, do the math. We have this tool that we've developed regarding, it's just a way for us to quickly assess a property and what we would have to acquire it for in order to do wholesaling or flipping. And we call it the evil calculator because we don't, we plug the numbers in and that's the number we provide. It was just completely without emotion. This is what we have to get it for. Right. And a lot of times in the last many years, that number is always like way lower than people are asking or they want you to pay. Math is math. That's why I like it. That's why. Is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today, Joe? I'm going to say no. I felt pretty good about the interview. (laughs) Thank you. Great. One last time, head over to playlouder.com for more information. But I hope you'll come back again sometime, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. My just as the reason my website, by the way, is named Play Louder. My slogan is work smarter, plan better, play louder. So, you know, if you work smarter and plan better, you'll get a lot more fun time in your later years. I should have asked you that. That's that is an interesting name. Yeah. There you go. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.